And that is we've been looking at this whole uh, concept of the DNA of the church. In Matthew 16, when Jesus was still walking around on planet Earth, he made this statement. He said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Jesus said that I'm going to build a church. And I often wonder when I sit back and look at the church now, what we would call the church. Church was never a building. It's not a location. You know, church is a movement of people. That's what it is. When we think of church in our Western concept, we think of, oh, you're going to church. But we don't go to church. We are the church. When Jesus said, I'm building my church, he didn't say, I'm going to go and build a building. What he said was, I'm building a movement of people that will represent me and that will represent the heart of God, the invisible God, down here visibly on earth. So when Jesus said, I'll build my church, and I look at what we would term church now, it, it, it brings up the question for me, is the church I'm a part of the church that he was picturing when he said, I'll build my church? Or is it another movement and group of people? Are we doing this thing as accurately as what we can? You see, the goal of, of us gathering together in any context or configuration is not to have a big church. It's to have a biblical church. Yeah? To do it as close as possible as we can to what we see laid out. And the best place to go to to get an idea of what the church was meant to look like is to go right back to the beginning, which is why we've been looking at the book of Acts. It represents the first 30 years. It's a history book. It's the first 30 years of the church. And we're trying to pull out of that. So what were some of the DNA of the church? Because the guys, the book of Acts is an amazing book. I mean, if you read that, it would be one of the most amazing Hollywood films you could possibly make. You know, get, get Peter Jackson, the director of Lord of the Rings, to come and direct it, and Spielberg can work on special effects, and you still would not do justice to the world that we're reading about in the book of Acts. Blind eyes being opened, the dead being raised, you know, people's lives being transformed and changed, people that are bound up with, 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 with problems, all kinds of issues being set free. People who are consumed with this over here suddenly getting a bigger perspective of life and realising that there is more to this world than what we see, taste, touch, feel and smell. I mean, it's an amazing journey that we read about in this book. So we've been looking at that. But the reality of the fact is they saw what they saw in that book and experienced what they experienced, not because of how they did it, but they experienced all of this because of who they were, the people. Because people are church. Jesus said, I'll build my church. He meant I'll build a movement of people. So it's not about structures and ways of doing it, it's people. So we've been looking at what are some of the DNA, what are some of the things that we can take out of this that show us a little bit of a window and insight into who were the people in the book of Acts? Who were the people that Jesus called his church? And so the first week we looked at the fact that they were personally committed to spiritual growth. They didn't need to be uh, pushed and prodded along and every week pumped up. They had a personal commitment. When, when Peter preached his first sermon in Acts chapter 2, he went really hard at them and, and could have easily offended people and probably did. But these guys that, that joined themselves to the church, they said to him, what must we do? They took responsibility. And then we read further on in Acts chapter 2 and it says they devoted themselves to prayer, to worship. It talks about them devoting themselves to certain things that would help them grow spiritually. If you, you weren't here for that, go on iTunes there. We've got the page on iTunes. You can have a listen to that a couple of weeks ago. But they devoted themselves to spiritual growth. And we need to be people who are devoted. Nobody's making anybody be in church this morning. 
It's got to be a choice. You've got to want to be here. Nobody makes you read your Bible. It's a personal choice. It's because you see the value in it because you're passionate about personal growth. Nobody uh, makes us worship. Nobody makes us pray. It's a choice that we make because we see in the Word of God that these are spiritual disciplines that help connect us with God. They help, help us focus on the bigger picture of life, that it's not just about bricks and mortar. It's not just about getting money and a bigger car and a bigger house and that'll make you happy because, uh, you know, cemeteries are full of people that if they could have another breath would probably say to you, don't believe it, it's a lie. Money's not going to make you happy. I'm not saying don't have money. If you've got a choice to be rich or poor, take rich, way better. Not that I know from personal experience, but I'm imagining rich would be better than poor. But don't look for the riches to fulfill something in your life that they were never given to you for. They will not make you inherently happy. You know, single people thinking, if I just find Mr. Right or Mrs. Right, all my problems will be solved. It doesn't work like that. Because there's something inside of us that cannot be filled by material possessions, human relationships. It's a, a relationship with God. The Bible puts it this way. God's put eternity in our hearts. There's something inside of us that's going... It's everything we do, we're looking for peace, aren't we? The end result of just about everything we do in life is to try to find peace. That's what we want. If we get enough money, it'll alleviate my problems and I'll have peace. If I meet the right person, it'll alleviate my loneliness and I can have peace. And if I get a bigger car, then I won't be worried about this one and I'll fit in better or a bigger house. And and it's all about trying to create peace in our world. When Jesus himself said, you know, getting peace, if you really want peace, you've got to come to me. He said, I'm going to give you peace. But he said, the peace I give you is so different to the peace of the world because the peace of the world is stapled to things. I've got peace when I've got this relationship. When the relationship dies, my peace disappeared. I got peace when I'm rich and got lots of money, but then when I go bankrupt or, or the business collapses or something and I've got no money, then I've got no peace because the peace was stapled to the dollars, so it's gone. Jesus said, I don't give you peace like that. I give you a peace that nothing can shake. And that's been my experience from the time I gave my life to Jesus at 19 years of age. That's been my experience. I was a very messed up kid, a lot of stuff going on in the background, lack of peace, frustration, depression, all kinds of things. And, and Jesus came in. And there's been nothing in my journey since I met him to now that has given me peace. And that's the truth. Even as a believer, all these things don't give me peace. But, but knowing that I'm in relationship with God. Knowing that God loves me is what gives me peace. So we looked at that as the first thing. They were personally committed to spiritual growth. Last week, we looked at the fact that they were dependent on the power of God. They acknowledged that there was something outside of themselves that was on offer to us. You know, God has sent his spirit, the Bible says. Jesus was so passionate about this, he said to the early church, I don't want you going anywhere and doing anything until my spirit comes upon this earth. I don't want you to go and tell people about me until you have the support of the Holy Spirit in your life. I don't want you to build a church. I don't want you to do anything until you are able to depend upon a power source outside of yourself because whatever you need to do, whatever God's put us here to do is going to take more than what we have. More of the resource, more wisdom, more patience, more finance, more things, more stuff than what you have actually got and I've actually got. And God set it up that way. Why? So that he gets the glory at the end of the day for what we do with our lives. I'm not standing here because I'm uh, overly intelligent. You know what? I went to school. I was just having a chat up there. I was considered fairly stupid at school. Some, some of you might not have changed your opinion about that, but I was considered fairly stupid at school. You know what? I went through school and failed. I was in the bottom 25% of the entire state of New South Wales. Once you got to 25, they never told you how bad you were. That's how it was when I did my HSC. I can't remember what it was called something, uh, quadrants or whatever it was, it changed a thousand times since then. But once you got as low as 25, 
Everybody from 25 and under got a 25 on their HSC because they didn't want you to feel too bad. As if 25 didn't make you feel bad enough. But So nobody really knows how bad I went. But I wasn't silly. I wasn't stupid. <laughs> you know. But then I came into a relationship with God and it's like this whole other side of my life was awakened. You know? I'd started, did some theological training and things like that and went from being absolutely hopeless at school, learning nothing, to somehow just getting this wisdom about these things and I'd write papers and send away and I'd get high distinctions and things like that I would never have imagined would be near my name or something that I could achieve because I was tapping into something outside of just myself. And God wants us to, to, to realise that there is more to this world than just what we have. That's why we pray. That's why we access God. We say, God, I've got this thing going on. Help. That's why we get into the word of God and we discover things about ourselves that we don't know. Some of us don't feel like we're truly and wonderfully made. God says you are. You know? Some of us don't feel like we're filled with power by the Spirit of God, yet the Bible says you are filled with power by the Spirit of God. There are things in there that reveal stuff to us that we don't know because we're, we're, we can't just live our life dependent upon ourselves and what we've got. And the early church realized they had more at their access than just their own personal intellect, abilities, and so on. And on the back of that, they built a movement of people that grew rapidly and took over what was then the known world. I want to talk about the third thing today. And the third thing is this. And I just want to say that God in his wisdom knows things that we don't. And when I started putting this together about three weeks ago, four or five weeks ago, actually I've been sitting on this message since about November last year, actually. <laughs> just waiting for the right time to bring it out. And I, I felt a few weeks ago, Alan, start talking about this now. And so I can see in what I'm saying today that God knows things that we don't. God sees things on the road up ahead. And what I want to say to us this week about the early church is this, they were contributors, not consumers. The early church were contributors, not consumers. Anyone know the difference? Contributors... Give and consumers take. Contributors add to something and consumers take away from something. And the early church had a contribution mentality. They were contributors. They gave. In uh, Washington, D.C., 20th of August, 1961, President John F. Kennedy, in his inaugural address, said these words. He said, Ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. I often wonder whether that was mentioned way back here in the book of Acts somewhere but not recorded. Because I feel like that was the cry of this early group of believers that I read about. It wasn't, I'm coming into this group called the church and I'm asking, what can you do for me? But they seem to have a mentality, what can we do for it? They didn't come on into the kingdom of God and just sit there going, God, you give to us, you give to us, you give to us. They had a mentality, Father, because of what you've done, what can we give to you? What can we do? And with that outward mentality was birthed this thing that you and I are a part of right now called the church. There's no line in the sand to say this is different to us. We are the same church. We're just grown up. It's like me at six years of age and me today at 45 years of age. I'm the exact same person, just older. But in my very DNA, I'm the same. And this is the DNA of the church. And this is the church that saw God unleash himself upon the world, move so powerfully amongst nations, move so powerfully amongst people because they carried some of this stuff. They were contributors, not simply consumers. 
If you go to Acts chapter 2, verse 44 to 47, I'm going to read to you one of the most difficult passages of Scripture this morning that I find in the Bible. You know, not everything in the Bible is easy. You know, don't you, you, you love it when everything's palatable. I love palatable things, you know. That's why I hate chocos and you know, vegetables and pumpkin. Oh, pumpkin, man. I'm telling you, pumpkin was not around before the fall of man. It's part of the curse. And this is one of those things that we read all the time in the Bible, but I don't know if we stop and look at it and examine it and go, well, hang on a second, what does it mean? You know, there were times where Jesus would teach and the crowds would go, this is a hard saying, who can, who can handle this? You know, this is a hard saying. And sometimes there are things in the word of God that are hard sayings. And they're worth thinking about and they're worth wrestling with because there's truth in there. If they're not worth wrestling with, we should get a big black marker and let's just run lines through all the verses we don't like. We could probably strip this book back to a quarter of what it is. But the truth is it's all there for a reason. And I want to look at one of those little bit more difficult things this morning and just explain a little bit about it. But I want you to keep in mind this whole concept that these people were contributors. They were not consumers. Acts chapter 2 verse 44 to 47 says this. It says, Now all who believed were together. Now this is the early church. This is the Acts church. This is a group of people who have just witnessed Christ crucified. And then Peter's gone up and preached. And the Bible says about 3,000 people were added that day. So it's a new group. It's a new thing. Now, the church in its infancy was actually an illegal, considered an illegal cult group. They were considered an illegal group. So they kept things sort of a little bit on the quiet. That's why uh, when you read the book of Acts, you don't see um, churches on corners and you don't see um, steeples and things like that till around 300 AD when, when uh, I think it was Constantine came along and said, look, I like the church now. They're friends of ours. Let them come out of hiding. And they started building buildings and church leaders got involved in politics and all kinds of things that were restricted from them at the time. Um, but we're not talking about that at this stage here. We're talking about a small illegal group of people. It says, now all who believed were together and had all things in common. Now, it doesn't mean that they sold everything, bought a patch of land and lived on a commune. That's not what it's saying. That's not the picture that's being painted here, okay? Um, This passage of scripture we're looking at today has been used to support a lot of really weird things. If you go back to a lot of cult groups, you'll find that a lot of cults have been birthed out of misinterpretation of what we're about to look at. So I just want to explain a couple of things so that we don't go too weird and loopy with this. It says, Now all who believed were together had all things in common and sold their possessions and goods and divided them among among all as anyone had need. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart. I love that phrase, simplicity of heart. I love that. To have a life of simplicity of heart. You know? That's, That's... That's peace to me. Simplicity of heart. Not too attached to the things of this world, but attached to God. They ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favour with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. What a fantastic picture of a contributing, caring, loving community. And that's what the church was. It's a movement of people. It says there that all who believed were together and had all things in common. What it meant was this, that they were all heading in the same direction. It's not that there was no personal ownership. 
It's not that nobody owned anything and it was theirs. It's not that uh, uh, there was no personal responsibility for stuff. It wasn't like, well, you've got your boat, Coxie. I'm just going to go to your shed this afternoon, take it fishing, and then I'll just dock it wherever I want. And if you want it back, well, you're going to have to come and find it because it's not really yours. It's ours now because we're, we're, we're brothers, so it's now ours. Okay? I'm going out to your farm. I'm just going to take a bucket of tea tree stuff because, it's, I mean, it's our farm, right? Don't, don't you? Don't, hey, it's biblical. Don't you pull the... You know, yeah, true. <laughs> Uh, not yet, I'm going to go and take that from Coxie's shed as well. He's got scuba gear and then I'm going to go out and get some tea. It wasn't like that. What it's saying is that they had all things in common in the sense that they were going in the same direction. I want you to imagine a whole bunch of people. They wake up one day and this guy over here is a, is a, a farmer. He's got sheep and he's doing his sheep thing and selling sheep. And he's thinking, geez, I, I, I just want to sell enough sheep because I want to uh, upgrade my camel. I want to get a better camel than the one I've got right now because the one I've got is a little bit slow and I know there's a new type of camel coming in from the east and they're a little bit quicker and they carry about an extra 20k. So I want to save up for a new camel. And then you've got the people over here and this lady sells materials, you know, and she's like, well, look, I'm, I'm selling this material, but I know that over there in the West they've made this new silk. It's like a, a silky silk, they call it. It's one step up from normal silk. It's silky silk. And I just want to go over there next time because I've done the maths. If I can buy enough silky silk and bring it back, I can lift my profit margin by about 40% on what I'm getting right now. So, so I'm going to sell this and, and this is what this one's thinking. Then you've got these ones over here going, I just wish I could find a job. I just want to feed my family. Uh, I just, and you've got all these people who, in their minds and with their wills and hearts, they're, they're all focused on their thing. They're all, and then one day, along comes this guy and says, let me explain something to you about this dude, Jesus of Nazareth. You know the one? You all know the story. He was crucified. And they're listening. And God pierces their hearts. And all of a sudden, it makes sense to them. <laughs> For years and years and years, we've had to kill cows and sheep and goats and spill blood. And come before God and say, God, forgive me, I'm so sorry. And then go away and mess up and then come back every year and cut and spill blood and so on. <coughs> and all of a sudden they get this picture, well, hang on, God, what God's saying is I'm sick of that. That's over. I don't want to do that anymore. So I'm going to shed one person's blood and that's going to be enough for now right through to eternity. Right through to eternity. And so Jesus comes, hangs on a cross and dies, and the Bible says that that, that, that that little temple that they'd built, where they had certain access to places, and they had this place called the Holy of Holies where the presence of God lived. And only the high priest would go in there, and they'd tie a chain to his leg, by the way, when he went in there, just in case he dropped dead, because nobody could go in there. They had to drag him out. That's how holy it was in the presence of God. And the Bible says when Jesus died, the temple curtain that was around that literally ripped in half symbolizing there's now nothing between you and God. Every human being now has access to God. You don't need to go through a priest or through someone else. It's, it's been done. Jesus said on the cross, in his last breath, he said, it's finished. In other words, no more killing calves, no more killing sheep, no more spilling other things' blood for your mistakes. I've done it. Now, all you need to do is accept that. All you've got to do is accept that. Make the choice to believe that what I did, I did for you. And through that faith in what I did... That gives you access to God. That's, that's the message. And so all of a sudden, these people go, we get it. Okay, sweet. We get it now. And so they give their hearts over to God and say, we will we'll put our faith in Jesus. We'll accept his death on the cross as if it was us dying. And we'll come into a relationship with God. And by doing so, all of a sudden, instead of just thinking about the camel, this, this, all of a sudden, everybody now starts thinking in the same direction. Oh, hang on. 
There's more to life than just this. And so we see a picture of this group of people that then start coming together to worship. They then start to come together to read the Bible. They come together to, to fellowship. They come together to do things. Why? Because there's a common channel, there's a common pathway, there's a common direction. That's what it means when it says they all had all things in common. They're heading in a direction together. <coughs> and it says they sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. Now, we don't want to go to an extreme and say that they sold everything because the Bible doesn't say that. Okay? The Bible doesn't say that everybody sold everything. Right? I just want to give you a couple of verses to, to, to write down or to have a little look at. It's not painting a picture that everybody sold everything or that nobody had possessions or that all property was everybody's. So if we go to Acts 2.46, it says that people continue to meet in homes. Acts 2.46 says that uh, breaking bread from house to house. They can't have sold every house. Otherwise, you know, have you ever tried to... Anyone going to go home from church today, going to go to your neighbour or someone in your street you don't know and just knock on their door and go home, it's going to come in and have a feed in your house. Okay? So they didn't sell every home. Some people paint this picture that they went and sold everything and just pooled all their money and lived in a commune-type lifestyle. The Bible does not support that picture. As a matter of fact, it goes a little further than that. Uh, We've got several homes in the Bible that are actually ascribed to personal ownership. So uh, uh, Priscilla and Aquila in Romans 16, verse 3 to 5, Paul says, greet the church that meet in Priscilla and Aquila's home. He ascribes personal ownership of a house to this couple, Priscilla and Aquila, who were a married couple. Acts 10.6, we read about Simon the Tanner. I think Peter was staying in the home of Simon the Tanner. So Simon had a home. So either Simon and Priscilla and Aquila were very unbiblical and evil and kept their homes when everybody else was selling theirs and handing the money over, or maybe that's not exactly what it meant. Everybody didn't just sell everything and give everything away. In Acts 16.40, we hear about Lydia, who owned a home. In Acts 21.8, we read about... Philip the Evangelist, who had a home. So there's no room in the biblical story there to think that what this verse is saying is everybody, when we leave church today, first thing I want you to do is advertise your garage sale. Okay? Now what you're going to do with the money, I'm going to give you a bank account. We're always going to put it in the one bank account and we're all just going to be able to access that as we... That's not the picture that it's painting at all. Matter of fact, if you go and you have a look at it, there was no coercion at all from even church leadership to say these people should do what they did. There's no picture there that the decision they made to support one another, to sell possessions and to meet the needs of others came externally. It all came from the inside out. It was a life transformed by God where all of a sudden, instead of being consumers of society and consumers of things and being all about building your own kingdom and building your own life, these guys started looking externally going, oh, there's more to life than just gathering, gathering, gathering. I've actually got a a responsibility to be a contributor to the needs of the world as well and not just keep taking, taking, taking. In Acts chapter 20, verse 33 to 35, Paul says this, he says, I've coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. He says, yes, you yourselves know that these hands have provided for my necessities and for those who were with me. I've shown you in every way by laboring like this that you must, watch this, support the weak. And remember the words of the Lord Jesus that he said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. It's more blessed to give than to receive. I find that really, really challenging. 
Because if you walked up to me at the end of church today and gave me $1,000, I would smile and cheer and tell everybody. I'd be so pumped. Inside, I would have all kinds of fluffy butterflies in my belly. I'd be, ooh, yeah. But if I gave $1,000 away, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I'd probably have a tear. <laughs> Trying to hold it back. But yet Jesus said it's more blessed to give than to receive. The, the early Christian community ex, ex, showed that, they displayed that, that it was more blessed to contribute than it was to consume. That there were things going on out there in the community around them that they had this inner compulsion, this inner sense that I want to contribute to that not a whole gathering of people going, well, now here we are with God. It's all about us. Bless me, bless me, bless me, Lord. Give, 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 give. Take, 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 take. Something happened on the inside of them that changed that mentality about life here on planet Earth. And instead of trying to accumulate and get, get, it was, where can we give? How can we help. They were not told at any point that they had to give the early church in that setting. Ephesians 4.28, Paul says a similar thing. He says, let him who stole steal no longer, but rather let him labor, working with his hands what is good. Why? That he may have something to give him who has need. You see the change of mentality. It's a change of worldview of being a people that are about ourselves to being a people that are about others. To, instead of sitting back like most people out there, like anyone remember that ad some years back? I can't remember what it was. It was an insurance company or something. For the most important person in the world. You. Remember that one? Remember that? For the most important person in the world. You know? You. Felt good. It's great. But it just keeps putting the focus back on the inside here that I am, well, I am the most important person in the world. It's all about me. Yet that's not the mentality that we read about in the life of the early church. They were an external-looking group. Now, in Acts, the first one we read in Acts 2, 44 to 47, it says, All who believed were together, had all things in common, sold their possessions and goods. But what was the focal point? It says, They divided them among all as anyone had need. As anyone had need need. Paul says, go to work, work hard, gather so that you can give to them who have need. Jesus says it's more blessed to give than it is to receive. How do I know if I am a contributor or a consumer? I think there's a couple of real simple things that we can ask ourselves as questions and it's this. Do you notice the needs of others or do you simply notice your own needs? Contributors notice the needs of others. Consumers only notice their own needs. Just a question. Have a think about it in your own world. Do you notice the needs of others? You see, the early church, the, the, the picture that's being painted in Acts chapter 2 is this, that they gathered together with a common cause. They were heading in a direction. And in any group of people, there are people that are all different socioeconomic ranges and spheres and so on. But when they got to a point where there was somebody there that had genuine need, the picture the Bible's painting is this. I'm sitting there and we're going, you know what, Rob's got need right now. 
Um, what can we do about that? Well, we've got, maybe we can sell this, 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 and then we can give it to meet that particular individual need at the time. And so we do that. We sell this, and we come over here, and we help Rob, and we meet this need. Now, maybe next time there might be another need over here, and there's somebody else in the group that are doing the same thing, going, well, you know what, I, I could probably meet that need. I've got a spare whatever or I've got this, or I've got that. And the picture being painted is that as the needs arose, that people were giving, because they noticed the needs of other people, not just the needs of themselves. And the second thing is that contributors actually do something about those needs. Firstly, they notice the needs, but secondly, they do something. They actually do something about it. You know, it's one thing to look at somebody's needs and to pat them on the back and to acknowledge their need. But nothing changes till we do something. Everyone aware of that? It's actions that make life happen. It's not what we know. It's what we do. 1 John 3, 16 and 18 says this, By this we know love, because he laid down his life for us, so we also ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. Watch this. But whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? My little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but indeed and in truth. The early church were contributors. I feel like, looking at the community around us right now, what a powerful opportunity for us to get out there and to contribute and to help. You know, sometimes prayer can be a really great thing to hide behind. Sometimes prayer can be a wonderful thing to hide behind. I'm just going to pray. I'm just going to pray for all. And I believe in prayer. I believe God listens to our prayers and I believe God does things in the unseen world. I've seen miracles happen through prayer. But I don't believe that prayer is always enough and I believe sometimes prayer can be a really good thing to hide behind and say we've done our bit as Christians because we've prayed for the needs of the people. Yet John makes it very clear here. If you've got the opportunity or the means by which to relieve a need in somebody else's life, I'm not talking about wants. You know, don't, don't come up to me afterwards and say, you want a BMW and can I help you? No, I'll say no. You don't need a BMW, you want one. You, you take care of your wants. But your general, uh, general needs, basic needs of life, sometimes prayer can be the thing that we hide behind. You know? And you know what else? Sometimes giving can be too. I don't mean, I don't want to ruffle feathers or anything, but it can be easy sometimes too to ring up a, on a phone and go, yeah, I'll donate 50 bucks. There you go. There's something powerful about actually doing something. There's something powerful about putting our hand to the plough. And uh, I'm challenged. I'm very challenged at the moment. I'll finish up with this. I'm feeling very challenged about what's going on down the hill there at the moment. And I've uh, already decided last week, listening to what was happening tomorrow, I'm going to, if the SES open it up, and I drive down there. I really don't care necessarily what I do. I'm not overly fussed on, I don't even care if I don't know the person. If I can get down there, put my hand to the pound, do something practically, tangibly to help people. Do something to help people. And you know what? Who knows? Maybe they might ask me why I'm doing it. And if they do, I'll tell them. Well, you know, I wouldn't be doing this if it was just up to me because I'm inherently a selfish individual who wants his time to himself. But I believe that you're important and valuable to God. And I believe that this is what the church should be doing. We should be out here. Because if Jesus was here right now, I think he'd be down there in the main street with a shovel. I think he'd be down there with a shovel. Yeah.
Yeah. Yeah, no, that's good. That's right. Yep, no, that's, that's, that's very good. So that's the challenge for us right now. We are in this community for a reason. We could be anywhere, but we're not. We're here. And uh, we've got an opportunity to put some hands and some feet, some practical stuff to this faith we talk about. It's probably not been the usual Sunday morning that we would normally have for those of you that are visiting, but um, I think it's important that we uh, confront some of these things, that we talk about some of these things. And more importantly is going to be when we get up from this place today and we leave, what are we going to do about it? Keep an eye on the Facebook page. I'll update you with what we, we can try to do as a church community. But outside of that, each of us can do something. I read a story some years back about a man walking along a beach and he was watching a child. And the child was picking up starfish. Anyone heard the story? He pick up a starfish and he was throwing it out to sea. And this man was watching this kid for the longest time. Eventually he walked over to the little boy and he said, do you really seriously think that you are going to save the thousands and thousands of starfish that are littered across this beach? Do you really think you're going to make a difference to all of them? The little boy bent down, picked up a starfish and he looked at the man and he said, no, I can't. He said, but I can make a big difference for this one. And he threw it back into the water. Let's pray. Father, we want to thank you again for uh, today, Lord. Thank you for, uh, Lord, the opportunity to meet here together. Thank you, God, for this wonderful community that you've put us in. And God, again, we pray for the many people uh, that are going through difficult times at the moment. We pray for your grace. We pray for your peace to be upon them. And Lord, we pray for your people. We pray that the church would uh, put hands and feet uh, and a little bit of muscle behind the faith that we have and that we'd get out there and that we would show people, God, not just talk to them about the goodness of God, but we'd get out there and we would show them the goodness and the reality of God. We thank you, Lord, for letting us be here at such a time as this. Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen, Rodeo. Well, God bless, guys. Um, have a great week. We've got Connect Groups on this week for those of you that are in Connect Groups. Uh, we've got a couple of new Connects starting in the next week or two, so keep an eye on this post. And uh, Tigers are playing the Dragons at four. Need all the help we can get.